Chapter 3, A History of California, the American Period, by Robert Glass Cleland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 3, The Russian Experiment. While the American fur traders were carrying on their operations in the Pacific, the danger of the Russian advance, which the Spanish crown had been fearful of for half a century, assumed new and formidable proportions. In 1811, at a time when Spain was torn by internal conflict, caught in the whirlwind of the French wars, and involved in the general revolt of her American possessions, a Russian colony was established within easy striking distance of her most valuable military and commercial asset in California, the Bay of San Francisco. The story of the advance of the Russians to the American mainland and the influence this exerted upon the Spanish occupation of California has already been told by the authoritative pen of the historian of the Spanish period. About the beginning of the 19th century, two factors materially strengthened the position of the Russians in Alaska and made them serious contenders for the mastery of the entire Northwest. In 1799, the organization of the Russian-American Fur Company consolidated the resources of the various Russian settlements and substituted unity and a common leadership for the disorganization and bloody rivalries of previous years. For twenty years, the company was given the entire use and control of all the coast of America between the 55th parallel of latitude and Bering Strait, together with the adjacent islands, including the Kuril and Aleutian groups. In economic affairs and in the exercise of political power, its monopoly was complete, the company furthermore enjoyed the favor of imperial patronage and numbered the emperor's family among its shareholders the second factor to quicken russian activities in america was the able character of the first governor of this recently organized company this ruler alexander baranov was a man of merciless ambition far-sighted imperialism and driving energy his character and use of autocratic powers gave him the title of the little czar. The representatives of Barana first came into direct contact with California through the agency of the American fur traders mentioned in the previous chapter. One of these New Englanders, Captain Joseph O'Kane, after considerable persuasion, succeeded in inducing Baranoff to furnish him a company of Aleut Indians with which to hunt sea otter off the southern coasts. The expedition sailed from Cadillac in October 1803, and after hunting and trading along the upper California coasts, continued its activities as far south as San Quentin in Lower California. O'Kane returned to Cadillac in 1804 with over a thousand otter skins and a considerable quantity of supplies for the Baranoff settlements. The Russian officer who accompanied O'Kane also brought back an alluring account of the resources and possibilities of California and from this time on, Baranov's interest in the Mexican province steadily increased. The next year, 1805, the arrival of the Tsar's Chamberlain, Nikolai Razanov, to make an inspection of the Russian settlements in Alaska and investigate Baranov's conduct of the Russian-American Fur Company, by which company Razanov had also been clothed with extraordinary powers, led to still more direct dealings of the Russians with the California settlements. Razanov found the Alaskan colony better governed by Baranov than it had been in previous years, but disease and starvation still took a frightful toll of the unfortunate inhabitants 
and made their lot wretchedly hard. A surgeon and naturalist named Langsdorff, who accompanied Rezanov on his visit, thus described the conditions of life at New Archangel. Quote, in the month of February, out of a hundred and fifty of the youngest and most healthy men that had been selected from the different settlements and brought hither, eight were already dead, and more than sixty were laid up in their barracks with their strength wholly exhausted and full of scorbutic sores. The chambers in which they lay had neither stove nor chimney, and the windows were shut, closed, and nailed down. The rooms were only warmed by the pestilential breath of such numbers huddled together and to crown all, not the remotest idea of cleanliness prevailed among them. Besides all this, the workmen often came home in the evening wet through, perhaps covered with snow, and lay down upon the beds in their wet clothes or sheepskins, or hung them up in the room to dry, without anyone appearing to think of the pernicious consequences that might ensue. End quote. This lack of sanitary and health precautions was of minor significance, however, compared to the suffering caused by the chronic scarcity of fresh provisions and the frequent insufficiency of food of any kind, when, for any one of a dozen reasons, supplies failed to arrive from Kamschatka, the Alaskan settlements faced actual starvation, and not until 1800 was some measure of relief found in the visits of the Yankee trading ships. One of these vessels, the Juno under Captain Wolfe, arrived at Sitka in 1805, from this vessel the Russian officials first obtained a quantity of provisions, but the needs of the colony were so pressing that it was ultimately determined to purchase the entire cargo and the ship as well. The advantages of the transaction were thus described by a contemporary writer. Quote, by this purchase, the company obtained an excellent swift-sailing vessel with a rich lading of objects of great importance for trading with the natives on the northwest coast of America consisting of a great quantity of linen and woolen cloth, of kitchen utensils, knives, axes, hatchets, and some firearms, etc., etc. But above all, a large supply of excellent provisions was obtained, by which all apprehensions of the menaced famine were removed. In fact, it was principally for the sake of this supply that the purchase was made. Besides a small quantity of peas, beans, butter, tallow, etc., the following substantial stores were procured. Nineteen casks of salted pork, each weighing 200 pounds English. Forty-two casks of salted beef, each of the same weight. 1,955 gallons of molasses. 2,983 pounds of powdered sugar. 315 pounds of loaf sugar. 4,343 pounds of rice. 7,392 pounds of biscuit, 11 casks of fine wheat flour, each of 170 pounds weight. Despite this large amount of supplies, however, the Russian colonists were, before long, again in hard straits. To remedy the situation, Rezanov resolved to send the Juno to California, there to bargain for grain and other provisions with the Spanish officials. But in this decision, there was something more involved than the desire to obtain necessary foodstuffs. The Chamberlain's surgeon frankly wrote, quote, The most northerly of the Spanish possessions in this part of the globe, San Francisco, on the coast of New Albion, was the place fixed upon for this visit. The Sandwich Islands might perhaps have been preferred for the purpose in an economical point of view, 
but political reasons led to the choice of San Francisco. After a trying voyage, accompanied by much sickness, the Juno sailed through the Golden Gate on April 5th and anchored beyond the range of the guns of the Presidio. After prolonged negotiations with the governor, Arriaga, Rezanov found that the prospects of exchanging the cargo of the Juna for the desired supplies were very slight. Then followed the courtship of Doña Concepcion, daughter of the influential commandant José Arguello, and Rezanov's formal betrothal to the California Belle. The details of this romance have been told by the historian of the Spanish period and need not be repeated here. It is sufficient to say that, having been accepted by Concepcion, and acknowledged a member of the family by the Arguellos, Rezanov had no further difficulty in effecting the sale of his cargo and purchasing all the foodstuffs he required. Sometime after the middle of May, the Juno left San Francisco, and thirty days later reached Sitka. This voyage more than ever impressed upon the Russian officials the advantages of California and the necessity of developing a regular trade between the Alaskan settlements and those of the Spanish province. Rezanov's aid saw but one way of realizing this desire. Quote, if Russia would engage in an advantageous commerce with these parts, and procure from them provisions for the supply of her northern settlements, the only means of doing it is by planting a colony of her own, wrote Langsdorff. In a country which is blessed with so mild a climate as California, where there is such plenty of wood and water with so many other means for support of life and several excellent harbors, persons of enterprising spirits might, in a few years, establish a very flourishing colony. With the assistance of the able mechanics who are to be found at Sitka, wind and water mills might soon be constructed, looms established, and manufactories for burning brandy. Large and small vessels and granaries for corn would then be built, vast herds of cattle would be raised, and sea otters in abundance taken. Thus, in time, Kamschatka and Eastern Asia would be amply supplied from hence with all kinds of vegetable and animal productions for the support of life. The Russo-American Company have already sufficient sources of wealth in their present possessions from the extensive fur trade they yield, nor has any occasion been omitted to aim at increasing it by foreign dealings. Their settlements only want a better administration to rise with fresh vigor from their ruins. But to effect this, their strength must be concentrated, and they must abandon the mistaken policy of extending them to such a degree as to weaken every part. To establish this Russian colony in California became Rezanov's ambition. From an economic standpoint, it would not only serve as a basis for sea otter expeditions as far south as Lower California, but would also furnish the Russian settlements of Alaska and even of Kamschatka with food. As a political factor, in conjunction with another settlement to be established at the mouth of the Columbia, the California colony was even more important. In this connection, Rezanov's own words are illuminating. Quote, if we can only obtain the means for the beginning of this plan, I think I may say that at the Columbia we could attract a population from various parts, and in the course of ten years we should become strong enough to make use of any favorable turn in European politics to include the coast of California in the Russian possessions. The Spaniards are very weak in these countries, and if in 1798, when war was declared by Spain, 
our company had had a force corresponding to its proportions it would have been very easy to seize a piece of california from thirty four degrees to santa barbara and to appropriate this territory forever since the geographical position of mexico would have prevented her from sending any assistance overland in pursuance of the plan to plant russian settlements on the columbia and in california two vessels were sent down to the south from sitka in eighteen o eight the one bound for the columbia was wrecked so that the oregon enterprise came to nothing the other vessel commanded by an official named kuskoff reached bodega bay some thirty miles north of san francisco january eighth eighteen o nine here kuskoff remained nearly eight months trading with the natives taking sea otter skins and above all examining the possibilities of the region as a site for the prospective russian colony upon kuskoff's return to alaska in october plans were definitely laid for actually establishing the long talked of settlement in eighteen eleven after an unsuccessful attempt to return to california the preceding year kuskoff again anchored in bodega bay the hunters who accompanied him on the expedition succeeded in taking over one thousand two hundred otter skins most of which were poached in the forbidden waters of san francisco harbor probably on the same expedition the russian commander secured title from the indians to a considerable stretch of territory around the bay tradition fixes the purchase price at three blankets two axes three hoes and a miscellaneous assortment of beads either in the latter part of eighteen eleven or early the next year kuskoff once more returned to bodega this time with the necessary colonists and equipment to build a permanent establishment the site chosen was about eighteen miles above bodega on a bluff overlooking the ocean here a fort was erected which after formal dedication on september tenth eighteen twelve was appropriately named fort ross the original inhabitants of the new settlement consisted of nearly a hundred russians and some eighty aleuts life for a time went hard with them owing to the lack of food and the difficulty experienced in opening up the desired trade with the californians when this latter object was accomplished however conditions became much more agreeable and before many years the ross colonists were themselves raising sufficient grain vegetables and cattle to relieve in some measure the chronic need of the alaskan settlements the following description written at a much later date gives an interesting picture of the colony after its period of hardship was passed Quote, the presidia ross lies in thirty eight degrees forty minutes north latitude immediately upon the ocean on a hill sloping gradually toward the sea the rear is crowned by a range of hills fifteen hundred feet in height covered with pines firs cedar and laurel rendering the position of the fort highly picturesque the fort is an enclosure one hundred yards square picketed with timbers eight inches thick by eighteen feet high it mounts four twelve-pound carronades on each angle and four six-pound brass howitzers fronting the principal gate it has two octangular blockhouses with loopholes for musketry and eight buildings within the enclosure 48 outside besides a large boathouse at the landing place a blacksmith shop carpenters and cooper shop and a large stable for 200 cows the number usually milked it does not lie within the scope of this particular volume to discuss at length the relations of the russian colonists with their neighbors to the south 
it is enough to say that aside from official protest against the presence of foreigners in spanish territory almost no friction developed between the two peoples the trade gradually built up by the ross settlers with the californians was mutually advantageous and in california itself no matter what attitude the spanish crown maintained there was little inclination and certainly no adequate means to bring this commerce to an end from the standpoint of far-sighted american statesmen however the russian colony in california was a menace of serious import on november eleventh eighteen eighteen j b prevost a special commissioner appointed by the united states government to receive the re-surrender of astoria from the british wrote thus from monterey new california to the department of state quote, the speculations of humboldt and his glowing description of the soil and climate of this province have probably given a new direction to the ambition of russia and determined its emperor to the acquisition of empire in america until eighteen sixteen the settlements of this power did not reach to the southward of fifty five degrees and were of no consideration though dignified by them with the title russian america in the commencement of that year two distinct establishments were made of a different and more imposing character the first at atui one of the sandwich islands the other in this vicinity within a few leagues of san francisco the most northerly possession of spain in thirty seven degrees fifty six minutes the sketch i subjoin was procured from a member of the government at this place from whom i also learned that its augmentation has since become so considerable as to excite serious alarm two russian ships left this port on their way thither a few days anterior to our arrival one having on board mechanics of every description together with implements of husbandry we passed sufficiently near the spot assigned to it to distinguish the coast with some precision and ascertained that it was an open road a circumstance that renders the position liable to many objections if intended to be permanent in other respects the choice is judicious for an infant colony it enjoys a climate still milder than that of columbia is environed by a beautiful country and its proximity to an old settlement enables the russians to partake the numerous herds of black cattle and horses that have been there multiplying for the last fifty years the port of st francis is one of the most convenient extensive and safe in the whole world wholly without defense and in the neighborhood of a feeble diffused and disaffected population under all these circumstances may we not infer views as to the early possession of this harbor and ultimately to the sovereignty of all california surely the growth of a race on these shores scarcely emerged from the savage state guided by a chief who seeks not to emancipate but to enthrall is an event to be deprecated an event the mere apprehension of which ought to excite the jealousies of the united states so far at least as to induce the cautionary measure of preserving a station which may serve as a barrier to a northern aggrandizement in the following year a rumor arose that spain had ceded to russia a strip of territory on the pacific coast eight hundred miles long in return for assistance furnished to the expeditions against the revolutionists of lima and buenos aires in the st louis inquirer an unknown writer perhaps senator benton issued a warning against the progress of the russian empire well calculated to arouse the apprehension of those to whom russia as a member of the holy alliance and a rival in the northwest trade 
was already an object of sufficient distrust. Looking to the East for everything, said the article, Americans have failed to notice the advance of the Russians on the Pacific coast until they have succeeded in pushing their settlements as far south as Bodega. Their policy is merely the extension of the policy of Peter the Great and Catherine. Alexander is occupied with a scheme worthy of his vast ambition, the acquisition of the Gulf and Peninsula of California and the Spanish claim to North America. We learn this not from diplomatic correspondence, but from American fur traders who learn it from the Russian traders now protected by the emperor in carrying off our furs. Such warnings as those sounded by Prevost and the St. Louis Inquirer were soon echoed in the halls of Congress. On January 25, 1821, the Committee on the Occupation of the Columbia River rendered its report to the House of Representatives. In this report, Floyd, the chairman of the committee, issued the following warnings against the Russian peril. Quote, Russia, whose dominions on the Asiatic coast occupy nearly the same position on that side which ours do on this, has long been well informed of the great and increasing value of that commerce. And while she has nowhere been visible, not even to the powers of Europe, only as she has of late taken part in a few memorable enterprises, she has been felt everywhere. No labor, care, or expense is avoided to make tributary the four quarters of the globe. Forts, magazines, towns, cities, and trade seem to rise on that coast as if by magic. With an army of a million of men, she sits not only in proud security as it regards Europe, and menaces the Turk, the Persian, the Japanese, and the Chinese, but even the King of Spain's dominions in North America are equally easy of access and equally exposed to her fearful weight of power. Her watchfulness is ever in advance in discerning the most practicable avenues of profitable commerce. In the midst of all her busy arrangements, she has not neglected the opportunities of possessing herself of two important stations of the American shore of the Pacific the one at a place called New Archangel, in about 59 degrees of north latitude, the other at Bodega Bay, in latitude 38 degrees 34 minutes. At the former of these military positions, for the protection of her commerce, it is presumed, she has incurred much expense, and built a fort of great strength, situated upon one of the best harbors on the coast, standing upon a point of land projecting into the little bay, giving something the appearance of a conical island in the center of it. This fort is well supplied at all times with provisions and military stores, mounting a hundred and twenty cannon, carrying balls from eighteen to twenty-four pounds weight. That at Bodega is well constructed and supplied with cannon, and has a good harbor. At this point they have ammunition and merchandise in abundance, and find the Indian trade at this post as well as at New Archangel very considerable. Besides the fine condition of the fort and its defenses, they have many field pieces, some of brass, of the finest construction, in good order, and well mounted. All these supplies have been conveyed to those places through immense oceans, round Cape Horn, which would have appalled any but Russian policy and perseverance. The light articles destined for this trade are transported from St. Petersburg in sledges, which will perform in three months that which would require two summers of water conveyance to effect. Their communications are open to Kamschatka, to Fort St. Peter and St. Paul by Okhotsk in the Pacific, 
where they have the finest harbor in the world. The distance is estimated at 10,000 miles. The nation which can encounter such journeys as these, often through seas of ice and storms of snow so terrible as to obscure an object beyond the distance of a few paces, to prosecute any branch of commerce, must be well and fully informed of its value. That the objects she has in view may not by any event be taken from her grasp, after encountering such vast difficulties, she has found it expedient to occupy one of the Sandwich Islands, which not only enables her effectively to maintain her positions, but to command the whole northern part of the Pacific Ocean. These islands, lying just within the tropics, in the direct course from the lower coast of North America to Canton, are well supplied not only with all the fruits of that climate, but with every vegetable and animal known in this country. End quote. Fed by such warnings, the opposition to any further extension of Russian power along the Pacific coast gained increasing strength in the United States. When, therefore, the Tsar's famous ukase of 1822 sought to close the North Pacific to foreign vessels and establish the undisputed supremacy of Russia to the northwest coast, it was looked upon as merely another step in his plan of occupying the Oregon Territory in California. One of the three cardinal elements of the Monroe Doctrine, first given definite expression in Monroe's message of December 1823, was designed very clearly to prevent this Russian advance. The average American thinks of the doctrine only in relation to Hispanic America, but Monroe was not considering alone the welfare of the recently liberated Spanish colonies when he penned his famous message. He was also thinking of the shadow of the great Russian Empire flung over Alaska and threatening the whole Pacific coast. The challenge of Fort Ross, with its cannon, its high palisades, its farms and herds of cattle, all tangible evidences of a permanent plan of colonization, was met by Monroe with the explicit announcement that the American continents were no longer subjects for future colonization by any European power. The attitude of the United States brought a definite end to whatever program the Russian government had of acquiring California. Three other factors, beside Monroe's opposition, also led to the Tsar's loss of interest in the California project. The decline of the fur trade along the coast destroyed the primary source of the colony's revenue. Because Russia and Spain were allies in Europe, the chance for the former to take over California did not readily present itself. Of more importance still, the shifting fortunes of Russia in European politics and her ancient ambition to rule over Constantinople destroyed all effective desire for expansion in North America. In 1824, accordingly, the Russian government agreed to limit all future settlements to the territory north of the parallel of 54 degrees 40 minutes. For nearly two decades more, however, the colony at Ross retained its Russian character and remained independent of Mexican control. In 1836, when a revolt of the Californians promised for a time to transform the province into an independent republic, a vague rumor was set afloat that the new government planned to seek the Tsar's protection. Such a policy, had there been any truth behind it, would have meant a dangerous revival of the Russian influence on the coast and a serious check to American expansion. There was, however, no shadow of justification for the report. In point of fact, the Russian colonists held themselves aloof from all the affairs of Californians 
except that of commerce chance foreigners who visited ross found the inhabitants living a quiet industrious routine life concerned with matters of trade and agriculture and not at all with politics the following description written by one such visitor shortly before the colony came to an end gives a fair picture of the normal conditions at fort ross Quote, this establishment of the Russians seems now to be kept up principally as a Pontapui, and hereafter it may be urged in furtherance of the claims of the imperial autocrat to this country, having now been in possession of Ross and the Bodega for twenty-four years without molestation. Two ships annually come down for wheat from Sitka. Their cargoes are purchased in California, likewise tallow and jerked beef, for bills on the Russian-American Fur Company, St. Petersburg. These bills fall into the hands of the American traders from Boston and the Sandwich Islands, who receive these bills from the Californians as money in payment of goods. Ross contains about 400 souls, 60 of whom are Russians and Finns, 80 Kodiaks, the remainder Indians of the neighborhood who work well with the plow and sickle. All the Russians and Finlanders are artisans, wages 35 to $40 per annum. They export butter and cheese to Sitka. But few skins, seal, are now taken, no sea otters. This year the farm is much increased. 240 fanegas, equal to 600 bushels of wheat, are sown. It generally yields 12 bushels for one. Stock, 1,500 head of neat cattle, 800 horses and mules, 400 to 500 sheep, and 300 hogs. End quote. By 1840, the expense of maintaining the California colony had become a drain upon the Russian-American Fur Company too serious to be continued longer. And as the political aspect of the enterprise had long since ceased to be of any moment, the company was anxious to dispose of its holdings and withdraw entirely from the field. The following year, a purchaser, both for the colony's movable property and its shadowy land claims, was found in the person of John A. Sutter, with the completion of the bargain, the settlers returned to Alaska. In this undramatic fashion, the threatened Russian control of California came to an end. It is a mistake, however, to minimize the significance of the bodega enterprise, or to overlook the potential menace that it presented at one time to the future development of the United States. If the dreams of Baranov and Rezanov had been realized, how tremendously changed the world's history might have been. End of chapter 3